Hello, and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 104. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I hope your week is going swell. I hope uh, nothing upon you that's vital has frozen off in the uh, January deep freeze that much of us find ourselves in. But much of us find ourselves in? Many of us find ourselves in. Yes, that's right, folks. I host a podcast where I have to talk for a living. Speaking of which, what should we talk about? Let's see. Oh, man. The reason I'm having so much trouble organizing my words into, you know, like sentences and stuff is uh, I'm still pretty tired. It's Sunday. I'm still kind of recovering, though, from the wild night I had on Friday. It was pretty epic. Pretty sweet. Pretty... Uh, chill, or something. Pretty crazy. I don't recommend this for you know for everybody. It's not for amateurs. But I spent a wild Friday night organizing my Atari instruction manuals. At long last, my dream come true. Yes, I know. I'm a responsible adult. I shouldn't be engaging in such crazy activities. But a while ago, I bought binders and I gathered up a big pile of all my instruction manuals. You know the the actual legit printed manuals that I have and also you know occasionally I'll print out one uh, offline or online so that I have a paper copy to look at and I gathered all those together and I alphabetized them and I put them into plastic binders and put in plastic sleeves and put those into three ring binders I know and I started that project a while ago and then I finished it Friday night it's pretty sweet y'all like I said I don't recommend it for everybody and if you can choose to engage in that activity, don't say I didn't warn you. What else is going on? I guess this episode is sort of a pseudo-anniversary episode in a way. Of course, I, I, you know, I noted on the uh, Christmas Eve episode that that was my 100th episode of the uh, podcast, not counting episode zero. This one, though, is coming out. You're hearing this uh, for the first time if you uh, rush right out to your pod player on the day that it drops, you're hearing this on on uh, January 21st, I think. That sounds about right. Uh, January 21st. Like I said, if you're listening to it right away. January 24th, though, is an important day in history. That is the day in 2016 that the very first regular episode of Atari Bytes dropped. Uh, episode 0 came out actually on January 18th. But that was just sort of the, you know, the very brief introductory, hi, my name is Bill, I'm going to do a podcast thing. January 24th, 2016 was the first legit game, you know, story mining within a game episode. And the first uh, episode was Yar's Revenge. So I guess this week is sort of my two-year anniversary doing a podcast. Um... In a minute, I'll tell you how I chose to celebrate that. And it's not the instruction manual thing. That was just for, you know, kicks. So, you know, thanks to all of you for sticking with me for these many two years. You know, I'm looking forward to the next two. Uh, seeing where we can go with the podcast. Continuing to make up stupid stories for these games. Uh, continuing to find new games. Uh, I am... The best part of the show for me has been finding all these games that I never got to play as a kid, uh, a lot of which uh, which I never heard of before. Yeah, me talk good today. 
I, you know, and it's also cool that I've gotten to meet, quote unquote, uh, online anyway, uh, a lot of cool uh, other gamers. Um, a lot of you, a lot of you other podcasters, I've gotten to know, so to speak, uh, online, and that's been cool. I've gotten to hear from a lot of you people who just like these games, even if you're not podcasters. Uh, and, and I've been struck by what a community there is of Atari fans out there, uh, and I think that's really awesome. So I am, like I said, I'm looking forward to the next two years and see what the show brings. I'm, I'm excited this spring to go to the Midwest Gaming Classic. That'll be my first um, gaming conference. As a podcaster, uh, you know, full disclosure, it'll be my first gaming conference ever as a human. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, hopefully, meeting some of you there, seeing what else is out there for you know in the gaming world, you know, and, and of course, being able to, to promote the show a little bit. So that'll be fun. Uh, new things in store for 2018, uh, and that's very cool. All right. Um, well, you know, enough of that stuff. Let's uh, move on to this week's game. This week's game is. Somebody out there? E.T. Video game? It's coming soon, only from Atari. The video game that lets your family help E.T. get home. But only if you have an Atari video game system at home. That's right. To mark the two-year anniversary of the best podcast in the world, I thought we would play the most reviled game in Atari history. E.T. the Extraterrestrial from Atari 1982. Of course, a lot of you will remember, if you're old enough or you've heard, that E.T., the Steven Spielberg movie starring Henry Thomas and an actual space alien. Not many people know that, but E.T. is an actual space alien. Um, uh, came out in uh, the summer of 1982. And the world lost its collective mind. Uh, it was a huge blockbuster. Not to mention a huge boost for Reese's Pieces sales, after which we're pretty sure executives at M&M Candies uh, you know, started leaping out of windows because they passed on the opportunity to uh, be product placed in uh, the E.T. movie, which went on to do gangbuster business. Uh, I haven't looked up the sales boost for Reese's Pieces, but i got to guess that it's huge. Uh, actually, you know what? Hold on. trivia here side note if you type Reese's Pieces if you start typing Reese's Pieces into your search bar I'm using Google as I told you Google last week I'm open for promotion opportunities if you want to start uh, uh, you know sponsoring the show hit me up uh, if you start to type Reese's Pieces into your search bar you get a lot of Reese Witherspoon stuff so uh, if I happen to during the course of this episode lapse into Reese Witherspoon trivia uh, you know, it's not my fault. It's Google's fault. I still love you, Google. And, oh, what the hell. I still love you, too, Reese Witherspoon. If you would like to sponsor the show, I'm open to that, too. Mental Floss says that Mars, Inc., they own M&M's, passed on uh, working with E.T. 
Hershey jumped on it as an opportunity to promote Reese's Pieces and agreed to spend a million dollars promoting E.T. in exchange for the rights to use E.T. in its ads. The payoff was huge as the candy saw a reported 65% jump in profits just two weeks after the movie came out. So there you go. How many of you ever ate a Reese's Piece is before you saw the movie E.T.? Not many, I bet. Thank you, E.T. By the way, (laughs) if Hershey would like to sponsor this podcast, I am an available podcasting whore. So, E.T. the game takes a lot of flack, right? It's hard to play. It's confusing. Um, People don't know what they're supposed to do. But here's the thing. It came with a manual. I'm holding it right now. This is the actual manual from a copy of E.T. And look, there's all these words in here that tell you how to play this game. It starts with a little story. It's kind of a first-person perspective thing for E.T. And you know, on this podcast, we love a good story. So, you know, grab a bag of Reese's Pieces and, uh, you know, curl up on the couch with Cindy or whatever Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore was named in the movie and, and listen to, uh, listen to uh, a story. Let's see if I can do the E.T. voice. What kind of crazy planet is this anyway? No, it's just, that sucks. I'm not going to do that. We came here to conduct a simple study of primitive planets, and look what happened. These things came and scared away my friends. Before I knew it, see, in the movie, side note, I watched E.T., I probably haven't watched E.T. since I was a kid. I keep trying to get my kids excited about watching E.T., and they just look at me weird uh, when I, you know, because every time I bring it up, I have to remind them again what the movie is, because they have forgotten already since the last time I suggested it. So I give them a little synopsis of the story, and they just kind of blink at me, and they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. So uh, I haven't watched the movie since I was a kid, but it seems to me my impression of when I watched it as a kid was that the E.T., the other E.T.s, just kind of forget that our man E.T. is still wandering around on the planet, because our man E.T. got distracted by pretty flowers or something and wandered off and the other ones were all like distracted by their cell phones or something and you know they closed up the ship took off but however it happened in the story you know back to the story before i knew it all my friends boarded our light ship and flew home what do i do now the only one i can trust is that nice little alien elliot that's actually how it's written in the manual elliot he gives me these tasty energy pills what did he call them? Reese's Pieces. But these other aliens, it's weird that, by the way, that E.T. can say all these English words perfectly, except for Elliot and Reese's Pieces. But these other aliens, every time I get ready to assemble my transgalactic communicator, yeah, that's a thing, they come and take me away. The one with the white coat sticks, that temperature measuring device in my mouth. Oh, E.T., thank God that's where he put it. I wonder why he was so upset when it melted. And the other one in the trench coat keeps muttering these strange sounds. National Security. Honest to God, that's how it's written in the manual. I just want to go home. I hope Elliot and I can assemble all the pieces of my communicator before my energy runs out. Oh, oh, here come those crazy aliens again. Help me, Elliot. Help me get home. Okay, so if you can figure it out already, 
Your mission is to help E.T. find the three pieces of his interplanetary telephone, call his ship, and guide him to the landing pad in time to be rescued. Pretty straightforward Atari-like concept, right? Uh, do this before E.T.'s energy runs out, and you'll win the round and score points. E.T. traverses six sites on planet Earth. Sounds good so far. Four of these are full of pitfalls. They are dotted with deep wells. Okay, now here's kind of where the game goes off the rails. Goes off the wells, if you like. Into which E.T. can fall. A fifth site shows Elliot's house, the Institute of Science, and the FBI building. Here, E.T. is taken by the scientists to be studied. The sixth, except nothing actually happens when he goes to these screens. It's just dragging you off the screen you're on to these other screens for a minute so that the FBI agent can take your candy, and then you can go back to what you were doing. Here, E.T. is taken by the scientist to be studied. The sixth site is a forest setting where E.T. first lands and where the ship will land to pick him up. Okay, so you know where you start, you know where you gotta get back to. Except that there's no map whatsoever, so you just kind of have to wander around and happen to stumble onto things. A round ends when E.T. boards the spaceship. At the end of each round, all your bonus points are displayed. If you want to play another round, simply press the controller button. E.T.'s telephone pieces and the candy will be redistributed for him to find again. You can play as many rounds as you like, since your bonus points will accumulate. A game ends when E.T. runs out of energy or when you decide to quit playing. Alright, makes sense. On each site E.T. moves through... Try that again. On each site E.T. moves through various power zones. While in a power zone, E.T. can execute only one of his extraordinary powers. For example, if E.T. is ready to call his spaceship, he must be in a call ship zone. As E.T. stands in a power zone, the symbol for that zone appears at the top center of the screen. At the beginning of each new round, the power zones are redistributed on each site. Okay, here's where, well, as if it wasn't confusing already, here's where it really gets confusing, because it keeps talking about executing these powers. So if we're, when you're playing, for a long time you're trying to figure out, well, how do I execute this power? And the answer seems to be, you don't really. You just happen to be on a screen where the thing happens for you. And as a person playing the game, that's kind of frustrating. Power executed in the find phone piece zone will reveal to E.T. whether a part of his interplanetary telephone is hidden on the current screen. The part will blink as shown in figure one. Here you go. E.T. must go to the telephone piece and touch it. Then, via telekinesis, it will move to the telephone construction site at the top of the screen, um, which is really just the bar at the top of the screen with the power zone indicator uh, and the countdown clock. E.T. can send the FBI agent, Elliot, and the scientist back to their respective buildings in Washington, D.C. if you're in the send humans back zone, which I guess is that page with all those the little Roman numeral threes on it. I don't know. E.T. in the candy zone eats one of the candy pieces he's carrying and converts it into energy. The candy pieces just look like little circles with a dot in the middle. When E.T. eats a piece of candy, the candy count goes down one point and E.T.'s energy increases. In the Call Elliot zone, which I guess is this thing with this little profile of a face and, and little lines coming out of the mouth like it's talking, I don't think, it, in a little bit that I played this morning, I don't think I actually saw that. But if you're there, Elliot will go to E.T.'s rescue when E.T. calls from this zone. You'll know that it's Elliot because Ernie shows up. Honestly, he looks just like Ernie from Sesame Street. He's got the striped shirt and the blue jeans and stuff. Uh, I keep waiting for Bert to show up. 
If E.T. has nine candy pieces, Elliot will take the candy, chase away dangerous humans, and leave it to find a missing phone piece. Elliot will then bring the phone piece to E.T. If E.T. has less than nine candy pieces, Elliot will take the candy and go home. Jerk. You score points for every candy piece that Elliot takes back home. And then there's these zones, a new sight zone, which apparently just has an arrow on it. Executing powers in any of these four zones, which again, as far as I can tell, just means showing up, will cause E.T. to immediately move to a new site in the direction indicated by the arrow. The call ship zone, which has a little thing that looks like maybe a beetle of some sort. E.T. can use this zone to call his rescue ship after the phone is assembled. Once E.T. executes his call ship power, a clock will appear at the top right of the screen. The clock will count down the time E.T. has to arrive at the landing, which as I said before, uh, means you have to get to that forest screen uh, mostly by stumbling upon it because there's no organized map whatsoever. Or if there is, they don't give it to you. So there's, uh, there's no logic to how the screens are laid out. You just have to wander around. In most cases, E.T. cannot call a ship when a human is present. E.T. must be on the landing zone to be rescued. The landing zone is indicated apparently by a little square with a, like a gun sight kind of thing in the middle. If a human is on the screen when the rescue ship appears, the ship will leave without E.T. and he will be left stranded once again. Sometimes the ship will still land when Elliot is present. When trying to get home, E.T. encounters many hindrances. He might fall into a well. I pretty much promise you he's going to fall into a well. A lot. Um, the only good part... The only, um... I don't know. Misnomer about the wells. Most people say, oh, it's impossible to get out. It's really not that hard to get out problem is falling back in um, because if you fall into the well if you don't move a little bit where you're standing at the bottom of the well when you come out again you're just immediately going to fall right back in you might anyway because you don't have any way of knowing if where you come out you're still standing on the well but you're going to have a better shot at not falling back in right away if you move a little bit before you levitate out if E.T. has any phone pieces, when the FBI agent touches him, the FBI agent will take one of the pieces and hide it in a well. Okay. Why wouldn't the FBI agent take it to the FBI building, which they specifically put into the game? Alright. If E.T. has no phone pieces, the FBI agent will take all the candy pieces that E.T. is holding. E.T. uses energy when he seeks phone pieces, executes special powers, or when he's escaping from a dangerous human. Although E.T. can replenish his energy with candy pieces, the supply is limited. So they should only be used for energy in an emergency. But that's the thing. How do you control when you're using them? Ugh. If E.T.'s energy expires before he is rescued, Elliot will appear on screen to save the wanting... The wanting E... Oh. Elliot will appear on screen to save the waning E.T. by merging with him. This energy measure results in a revived E.T. carrying 1,500 energy units. Elliot can merge with E.T. three times per game. Once during a round, however, E.T. can encounter a wilted flower hidden in the bottom of a well. If E.T. revives the flower, which I did once, not in the field report, but I did when I was playing earlier, uh, by accident, uh, Elliot is given the ability to merge with E.T. one extra time. If E.T. runs out of energy after the last emergency measure, E.T. goes into hibernation to await the next rescue attempt, which I think happened a lot. I think I thought I had killed him, because he turned all gray. Most of the game, he's kind of green. Several times when I was playing this morning, uh, he suddenly turned all gray and, like, fell down. And then Elliot showed up, and it was he was fine again. So I guess that's what was going on. I'm using the joystick for this. Make sure to plug it in. The manual helpfully reminds us we got to plug it in. Uh, reset switch starts the game. 
obviously, or press the red button on your joystick controller. ET moves up, down, right, left, and diagonally in the same direction you move your joystick. Gee, imagine that. To help ET levitate out of a well, press the controller button and push your joystick toward uh, forward. To help ET make a speedy escape from the FBI agent and the scientist, move your joystick in the in the desired direction and move and press the controller button. The faster you move, the more energy you'll use. Like you have control over how fast you move. Press the controller button to execute a power while in a power zone. Alright, so apparently you do have some control over it. ET's head will elevate whenever he executes power. Game 1, all humans are present in the game. Game 2, it's just Elliot and the FBI agent, no scientist. Game 3, only Elliot is present in the game. So where's the, the uh, threat in Game 3? It's just you wandering around with no hindrances whatsoever, except I guess maybe using up your power? I don't know. That seems strange. I didn't play Game 3, so I don't, I don't know in reality how it plays. The right difficulty switch controls the speed of the humans. In the A position, the humans move faster than in the B position. The left difficulty switch determines the landing conditions for the rescue ship. If the ship is in position A, Elliot cannot be present on the landing field when the rescue ship arrives. If the switch is in position B, Elliot can be present when the ET calls the ship and when it, and when it lands. There are four ways to earn special points in the game by keeping ET's energy count up, by carrying candy onto the rescue ship, by giving Elliot pieces of candy. I guess that's different than him just taking them? I don't know. And by collecting more than 31 candy pieces in a round. But again, how do you know that? Your score is displayed on the screen at the end of a game or when E.T. boards the rescue ship. After E.T. collects 31 candy pieces, he loses 700 energy units for each new candy piece he picks up. The energy units are subtracted from E.T.'s energy count in the next round played. Bonus points are scored as follows. Candy pieces carried on to the rescue ship, 480 points each. Candy pieces given to Elliot, 770 points each. Candy pieces after the 31st piece, 1,000 points each. Remaining energy, 1 point per unit. They actually have a health, helpful hints section in the manual, and I was like, yes, awesome. But the helpful hints, honest to God, amount to, this is an adventure game. So part of the fun of an adventure game is finding things out for yourself. So go to it. There is some stuff about how you can use the wells to escape from the humans because they can't go into the wells. Uh, so you can use that to kind of hide there. Sometimes you might want to let a scientist capture E.T. so the FBI agent can't get to you for a while, I guess. Give Elliot as many pieces of candy as possible. The more you give him, the more bonus points you'll score at the end. To pause the play, del deliberately put yourself into a well because it doesn't hurt you and uh, you don't use any energy and you can just kind of hang out there. Sometimes E.T. falls back into a well after he's levitated. I kind of mentioned this earlier. Move your guy a little bit. Move E.T. a little bit at the bottom of the well before you levitate out so you don't fall right back in. Alright. And that is how you play E.T. such as it is. Swankworld.com says, Back in 1982, Patchman was cutting edge. Cool and the Gang was actually considered to be cool. And E.T. was the all-time highest grossing movie ever. Atari had 80% of the market share giving Atari free reign to do pretty much whatever they wanted, since they were publishing their own games, except for Activision. They profited off of every piece of software that was put out, and smelling a cash cow, the head of Warner Brothers Interactive, who owned Atari at the time, negotiated a deal to get the rights to the E.T. franchise for a game, since it would only make sense to get the rights to the biggest movie at the time onto a game for the greatest console at the time. It would sound like a win-win. They were so confident, Warner and Atari were, that they would have the biggest game of 1982, they ended up paying somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to $25 million for the license. 
Then they assigned the project to Howard Scott Warshaw, who programmed Yara's Revenge, amongst other games for Atari, and gave him a strict deadline to get the game out in time for the 1982 holiday season. The deadline was anywhere between four weeks and a, a couple of months. They were confident the game would sell well, based off of name recognition. They produced 5 million copies of E.T., more games than there were 2,600 consoles and homes, and only managed to sell 1 or 2 million, and most of those were returned. This move, as well as the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man, would single-handedly kill Atari and cause the game video, the video game crash of the 80s. I'll be honest, I don't know all of Atari history, but over the course of doing this podcast, I've learned enough to know that E.T. didn't necessarily, E.T. and certainly Pac-Man didn't necessarily kill Atari. There, it appears there were a lot of factors. The big, huge bomb that the E.T. game was didn't help, certainly. But I, I don't know that you can blame E.T. by itself, or, or certainly Howard Scott Warshaw, for the, the fall of Atari. Everything about E.T., he mentions the thing about, you know, the legend that a bunch of copies of E.T. and maybe some Pac-Man uh, games were disposed in a landfill in New Mexico, and then steamrolled and cement poured over them. Side note, we've all heard that story. We've seen the Atari Game Over documentary. We've heard from Howard Scott Warshaw. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, the, the whole Alan McGordo thing. I'll probably talk about that here in a second. But back to uh, Swank World. Uh, everything about E.T. uses the term rush job and cash in. The game is horrid. He kind of walks through the uh, gameplay. He notes the pits from hell, random FBI agents and scientists. Visuals are pretty bad. The forest areas are comprised of trees on the ground that you merely walk over. Uh, he notes the pitfall did a much better job with jungle scenes. If there's anything good about this mess, it's going to be sound. Footsteps are here in all of the 2600 glory. You get hurried footstep noises when you're running. I swear I couldn't even get through this in 10 minutes. Even when I'm not playing this game, it's sucking the life out of me. I can't fathom anyone finding this game enjoyable. E.T. is a mess all around, though it is by no means the programmer's fault. It's the fault of Atari attempting to set the standard of what game companies of the future have tried to do, just in a more obvious way. They can make a mediocre game in time for the holidays, or the release, and watch the monkeys who work for a living buy it based off the name alone while the fat cats take off for the tennis courts, and then count the cash that's rolling in. Atari I.O. says E.T. gets a bad rap as the worst video game ever made. There's been lots of controversy around it. Is E.T. really the worst game ever? Let's open it up and see. They say the box is gorgeous. There's lots of stuff inside. Um, I only have the cartridge and the manual. I don't have the box or any of this other stuff. The E.T. instruction manual, they say, is vibrant and full color. They include a mini strategy guide with tips on how to get E.T. home fast, which I don't have. There's an Atari 2600 catalog, I guess, was bundled with the game. I have one of those, but I didn't get it from E.T. Atari I.O. suggests that maybe what they should have done is put in like a, like a little comic book uh, as a guide for, for kids. That might hold their attention a little better and get some of the points across about how to play the game. The great artwork and marketing surrounding a mediocre game that had been rushed out in time for Christmas? Maybe, but it was exciting and it felt like there was an Atari adventure waiting for you inside. This reviewer says it's, this game is nearly impossible to play without the instructions, but notes that back in the day, most kids would rip open the game and just toss the instructions away. Because generally, Atari games, and one of the great things about Atari games, you can just pick them up and start playing. You don't necessarily need a whole lot of instructions. And a lot of kids probably assumed that that's what you could do here. But this reviewer says that's really not the case. You need the instructions. He suggests starting with game three, the easiest one. That's the one that I said doesn't have any humans in it. 
E.T. was one of the first games to have an ending and take a stab at telling an adventure story, which is easier to do with, like, Zelda on the NES. Howard Scott Warshaw's vision for E.T. was ahead of its time, but just you just couldn't do it on the 2600 with the deadline that he had. He was trying to create a Zelda-style adventure game, but didn't have the resources at the time. How much better would the game be if you could enter Elliot's house, the FBI building, or the science lab and interact with characters and objects like you do in Legends of Zelda? They do like the fact that it had a title screen, which is a relatively new thing at the time. Oh, this reviewer also says the thing I said about how Elliot looks like Ernie from Sesame Street. Um, so yeah, so this reviewer agrees with virtually every other human that E.T. has a lot of problems, but ultimately gives it the verdict. Actually, gives it his kid's verdict, because his reviewer is talking about how he got this game out for his kid, who has had some experience with Atari games, but had never played this one before, and his kid's verdict is pretty good. I did see a 2015 article on Den of Geek, Howard Scott Warshaw on creating E.T. and Atari Game Over. I agree with this observation. On the surface, the much-publicized dig at Alamogordo, New Mexico landfill, where types of E.T. are found among the dust and trash, in Atari Game Over, and that's the biggest draw of the documentary. But really, it's the human story behind the making of E.T. that is the most interesting aspect. From the questionable business practices which led to the multi-million dollar E.T. licensing deal, to Warshaw's frantic efforts to make a playable, even innovative game in just five weeks. At the time, I watched Atari Game Over, which was uh, last year sometime, I think. That's what struck me. I didn't expect that. It was really a, a story, of, in a way, about Howard Scott Warshaw and what he went through to create this game. And I was, I was really impressed by that. That was actually, like this reviewers it, that was actually more interesting than the uh, digging up the old, the old cartridges. Uh, Warshaw praises Zach Penn, who directed the documentary, for doing a great job of getting me to new places with the same material. Uh, as Warshaw points out, he's been talking about this for 30 years. Penn had a fresh take and some interesting points of view. When you talk about something like the fall of the video game industry, it's a very complicated thing to talk about. The business dynamics and all the things that really led up to it. It's just easier to say they fell off the cliff. It's like Nolan... Bushnell, Atari co-founder, said at one point in the documentary, a simple and clear statement is always preferable and has more power than a complicated truth. So yeah, this is actually a pretty good article. If I remember, I will put this uh, a link to this article in the show notes. Rolling Stone in 2015 reported that copies of E.T. that were dug up out of the Alamogordo landfill were selling for $108,000 apiece. Nearly 900 copies of the infamously terrible video game were sold on eBay after an April 2014 excavation in Alamogordo, New Mexico confirmed the urban legend that thousands of the cartridges were buried following the game's critical and commercial failure. Excavators, led by operational consultant Joe Lewandowski, have sold off copies of the buried treasure to gamers eager for a piece of video game history. The most an uh, ET cartridge sold for at auction was uh, $1,500. Lewandowski was quoted in this article saying we're holding on to 297 copies. Might sell those if a second movie comes out. The film company got 100 games, 23 went to museums, and we had 881 that we actually sold. Alamogordo uh, was going to get 65000 from the sale. The Tellerosa Basin Historical Society got 16000 The remainder of the money went towards shipping fees. Okay, so I guess that 108000 is actually cumulative. Uh, the, the, yeah, okay. So the net, they netted 108000 It wasn't like one cartridge sold for 108000 Because that would be crazy. Not like paying $1,500 for a, a, you know, piece of garbage, basically. Literally dug out of a landfill. So literally garbage. Alright. If you haven't, I'm sure most of you listening to this have, but if you haven't watched the Atari Game Over documentary, you should. 
Uh, if you're at all interested in Atari games, and again, you're listening to this podcast, so you probably are, or if you just like stories about, you know, rise and fall of business, or human interest stories, you know, this is a good documentary. So, after the break, E.T. phone home. Or text. Whatever. So can I just vent here for a minute? In my opinion, the do not call list sucks, man. I'm still getting phone calls I don't want. Like, there's this one dude, he keeps calling, and all he says is, E.T. phone home. I'm busy, I don't have time to take these calls. So I want to get to the point, and I'm like, what? And then he just goes, E.T. phone home. And it's super annoying, man. I thought Trump was supposed to make America great again. Why can't he do something about this? Ugh, politics, man. That's some catchy music right there. The game starts off good. Alright, we got the theme song. That's a good thing. Alright, well that's enough of that. Ship's landing. Kind of a purple thing. Now I'm just left alone in the forest. Ah, crap, what am I going to do? Hey, the ship left me. I think I'll go this way. Surely there's not going to be a dangerous well that I could fall into. And... Oh, look, a piece of candy just laying on the ground. Nom, nom, nom. Oh, look, it's Inspector Gadget. He just took my candy, you bastard. Whoa, what is this? Now I'm in Washington, D.C. Because... reasons. There's Inspector Clouseau. Stop taking my candy, man. I'm going to go to Elliot's house, because he lives in D.C. now. Alright. Okay, so there's a little symbol at the top of the screen that looks just like the White House? I don't know what these buildings with these pillars are supposed to be. Okay, now I'm back up here. Not going to fall into a well. Eating more candy. Now that thing at the top screen, I guess, says this is a candy-eating zone? I don't know, I'm very confused. The problem is with this game is not the individual elements of the game, really. The problem is, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, or where I'm going. I'm just kind of wandering. Oh, now I fell into a well. Took a lot longer than I thought it would, actually. I levitate out. And I fell in again. See, there's too many wells. You can't turn around without smack it into a well. And I'm even doing that thing where I move to a different position so that I come out at a different place and I'm still hitting the damn wells. Diet. George is getting upset. And there's the wacky scientist who looks a lot like Doc Brown in his radiation suit. And now he put me into the science lab, I guess, and just kind of leaves me there. I'm going to Elliot's house. Hey Elliot, where are you? Come on, Inspector Gadget, leave me alone. I got some candy. 
haven't found any phone pieces yet, I guess. Alright. Oh, there's something. Wait, I want to pick it up. Watch out, I pick it up. There's a little happy face at the top of the screen. Maybe that's a flower. Oh, it grew. I made it grow. Sweet! How do I pick it up? I guess I don't. Well, poop. Why aren't I levitating? Oh, there we go. Doc Brown again. Ah, oh, man. Alright. Ouch. Watch your stick in that thing. Stupid scientists. What is that? That little gargoyle looking thing at the top of the screen. Oh, there's something. Alright, I got a phone piece, I guess. It'd be nice if there was a little inventory so that I would know how many phone pieces I had and when I had them all. Come on, go-go gadget. There's another one. Yay! I guess maybe the FBI dude took one of my phone pieces? And if I, so I really only have one now? Maybe that's why I can't see it. Because they keep taking it away. Oh, stop it, Doc Brown. that it's hard to get out of the wells. It's just super annoying. If you read the manual, it tells you how to get out. Man, I'm starting to get bored. Which is the real problem with this game. Alright. Back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about E.T., the game. It's not that bad. It's got problems for sure. But it's kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark, which a lot of people don't like either. It's frustrating as hell, but I think there's a lot to appreciate. Raiders, I think, is probably a better, if equally, a better game, even if equally frustrating. But I think E.T.'s got a lot of potential. If they'd given Warshaw a few more weeks to work on it, it could have been pretty amazing. I think the real problem with what we get is that E.T. the game is trying to give us the whole E.T. movie. And they, they simply couldn't. They couldn't even if they'd given you know, Warshaw six months to work on it. The technology just wasn't there. Uh, that's why Raiders kind of fails in a way. Because they were trying to give us the whole movie too and you just can't. Atari games were not immersive, interactive movies like video games are now. Games in that era based on existing properties worked better if they gave us a piece you know, a feeling, style over substance for these big properties, like Star Wars or Star Trek, which didn't try to give us whole Star Wars, Star Trek movies, which tried to give us a taste of it. You know, don't give us all of Empire Strikes Back, 
give us the uh, the, the fight with the the uh, walkers, the Imperial walkers. Don't give us all of Star Trek. Give us um, you know a, a fight with the Klingons or something. You know that kind of thing. ET. You know if you if you want to compare it to the movie, looking at the ET game looks like watching a stage play version of the movie in a way. You get these you know the, the one flat at the back of the you know upstage. Um, downstage that upstage I said it right the first time that gives you a sense of the scene that you're in but it's not the whole scene it's just supposed to represent what's going on so you get the representation of the science building or the FBI building you know things like that what they should have done is you know get, get rid of the FBI agents get rid of whatever maybe just give us a game where it's a puzzle game Elliot trying to build the phone or they could do an adventure thing, but it's just Elliot hiding from, or not Elliot, E.T. hiding from Elliot's mom at the house, which is part of the, the early part of the film. Or maybe you do a film where it's just the bicycle chase, where the kids are running from the uh, FBI agents on their bikes. You know, and there's it culminates with E.T. sort of lifting all the bikes into the air, something like that. But Warshaw wanted to, you know, it's been said many times, it seems like he wanted to make a big Zelda-type adventure game, which he probably could have, you know, with some limitations based on the technology, uh, if they'd given him more time to do it. They just didn't. And bottom line, the big thing that they should have done in this game is ease up on the flippin' wells. They're way too well-happy in this game. In Raiders, the big problem is the snakes, I guess. Too excited about the, uh, not even the snakes, the Tsetse flies. Oh, man, I hate those Tsetse flies. Um, in E.T., I hate these wells. I guess I get the idea of the wells. There's too many. They're too random. I mean, they should be random to some degree, right? You don't want to always know exactly where they're going to be because you can avoid them. But they get a little carried away with the wells. I didn't really do an E.T. story this week. We already know the E.T. story. Although, you know, I could do it better, of course. Like, maybe once E.T. gets back to a ship, the other E.T.'s are like, Yo, did you get it? And our E.T. opens up a secret pocket you to reveal the first commercial CD player which came out from Sony in 1982 coincidentally but I won't do that or I could submit the theory that this whole alien first contact was orchestrated by Texas Instruments to get somebody anybody to buy a speak and spell he's learning spelling with Texas Instruments speak and spell She's teaching her brother with speak and spell. They're learning new words with speak and spell. But don't tell them they're learning. They just think they're having fun. Speak and spell for words. Speak and read for stories. Speak and math for numbers. From Texas Instruments, they make learning fun. Nah, but I won't do that story either. Or maybe the reason E.T. can't get out of the hole in the game, the, the wells in the game, is because he's weighed down by all those Reese's Pieces. Well, imagine your surprise when you realize, well, some difference. Reese's peanut butter flavors inside Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces. They look familiar, but inside this candy shell is Reese's peanut butter flavor. Reese's Pieces. Well, imagine your surprise when you realize, well, Reese's peanut butter flavors inside Reese's Pieces. Wow, some difference. So really, this is like an anti-obesity campaign. But I won't do that story either. If Spielberg had succeeded in getting a licensing deal with Eminem for the movie, 
those games wouldn't have ended up in that hole in Alamogordo. I could do that story. Like a whole alternate timeline thing. But I won't. Although, as we know, I'm open to a, a sponsorship deal from M&M's. Or I could do like a metaphorical thing. Where like, the games buried in Alamogordo are actually E.T. And E.T. crawls out of the hole through the muck and the garbage. And he's P.O.'d, man. He's been left for dead. So he emerges like Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers style to exact his revenge. Phone home to your maker. Bite ride through your guts. I can just see all these taglines on the poster. Choke on Reese's pieces. Pieces of Reese's skin, that is. So I could do that story too. Kind of a Halloween thing. But I won't. Ooh, ooh. Or what if Henry Thomas, who plays E.T. in the movie, is actually playing his character Davy from the Cloak and Dagger movie, which is an episode I'm going to figure out how to do someday once I figure out how to actually play, you know, play the prototype of the game, because I really want to do that. And what if, so what if Davy, what if Henry Thomas is Davy from Cloak and Dagger, only now he's in the Witness Protection Program as Elliot, but it turns out that E.T. was the head of that terrorist group, or crime syndicate, or whatever it is, that wanted the Cloak and Dagger Atari cartridge in Cloak and Dagger. So now he's he's uh, actually trying to kill Elliot before he goes back home on his spaceship. But I won't do any of those, because that would be wrong. E.T. phone home. That's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Competech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, on and on and on. And remember, while you're swallowing mouthful, mouthfuls of, mouthful of Reese's Pieces, go over to iTunes and leave a review. Not of Reese's Pieces but of this podcast. And then phone home and tell all your friends to listen to the show. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page to help with some of our production costs. Or pick up Atari Bytes merchandise, go play some old games they've missed you, shirts or mugs or whatever you like. Over at Zazzle.com, our podcast store is AB underscore pod underscore store. You can check out our website, ataribytes.libson.com. There's episodes, links to social media, all sorts of stuff. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com to let me know what you think of Reese's Pieces, for example. You can like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. So many choices! And if hearing my voice once a week on this show isn't enough for you, you can check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, where all of your peanuts needs will be fulfilled. Get your Snoopy and Linus and Charlie Brown fix right there every month on the 15th. Next time on Atari Bytes, Star Voyager. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.